This is an ABC podcast. Good morning and welcome to AM. I'm Kim Landers, coming to you from Gadigal Land in Sydney. People in central and northern Queensland are bracing for more torrential rain as floodwaters cut roads, stranding locals and holidaymakers. An emergency flood alert was issued overnight for some residents of Mackay, but the Mayor Greg Williamson says there have been no emergency call-outs. There's been a lot of homes uh, isolated. No no water in homes at, at the, that we know of at the moment. Uh, and and certainly the expected uh, high river that the bomb had forecast for us has not occurred. Elsewhere, the deluge is filling dams, but it's also putting sugarcane crops at risk, as Annie Guest reports. Rainfall has broken two-day records around Proserpine, a lush area named after a goddess of agriculture. Sugarcane farmer Joe Morano says the region is awash. Very disappointing for those growers that still got cane left in the field. They would have invested in their crop in the year before, hoping to get that cane off. Disheartening. It's like, yeah, you're expecting an income, you've tried to pay your bills, and you don't have it. Mr Morano, who's also the regional chairman of the Peak Group Cane Growers, says Queensland producers will lose a lot of money, but not because of rain alone. I'd say $150 million. Yeah, it's a combination of things why this cane's still there. It's yeah, it's, it's the wet weather, the La Nina, uh, it's mill performance across a lot of areas as hasn't been up to scratch, and yeah, shortage of workers. Producers of other crops who are yet to plant are glad dams are filling, but hope precious topsoil isn't washed away by the deluge. Meanwhile, floodwaters cut roads around Claremont and other mining and rural communities and stranded highway travellers in places like Mick Dodson's Prince of Wales Hotel in Proserpine. It's been fully booked out for the last couple of days. We've had a few young fellas. They've been here for about three days since uh, Saturday, so they'll probably be here for at least another day or so because you cannot get to the airport at the moment so we've had a few other fellas too that have been up here working and they they, they can't get back. Have you had many people ringing who you can't accommodate? I, I hear oh, that. Of course yeah yeah no 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 it's been running hot for the last two days where every place in Proserpine is booked out at the moment. In Proserpine and further north in Bowen, people and pets have stayed in evacuation centres. Also, locals have reportedly offered shelter in their homes. Probably it's getting up to nearly like uh, Debbie, when Cyclone Debbie was here. Yeah, that's about the last time we've had water like this. The road closures have also stalled trucks, forcing drivers to shelter in their cabins by the roadside. And off the coast, the Whitsunday Islands have also been drenched. The Weather Bureau has forecast up to 500 millimetres of rain could fall in some parts in 24 hours. Any guest reporting. Australia's wine industry is worried that many grapes will be left on the vines this year due to the ongoing trade dispute with China. Many businesses expected sales in China to boom and planted accordingly, but Beijing still hasn't officially abandoned its trade bans. In the meantime, the Trade Minister, Don Farrell, is once again offering to head to China for talks. Political reporter Stephanie Boris has more. 
timing is everything when it comes to politics. That also applies to wine. Unfortunately, I think a lot of growers throughout Australia will probably have to leave grapes on the vine. Mitchell Taylor is on the board of Wine Australia and he's the managing director of Taylor's Wine. Picking for this vintage starts next month, but many wine grape growers are wondering what to do given they can't send their whites and reds to China. We've got great oversupply hitting the industry because it takes a lot of time to plan these markets. China's decision to impose tariffs on Australian wines in 2020 is before the World Trade Organisation. In a statement, Trade Minister Don Farrell told the ABC he would prefer to resolve trade issues through discussions rather than disputation. For this reason, he's again repeating his desire to travel to China and meet his counterpart for talks. The ABC has been told the minister is open to a virtual meeting before travelling to Beijing as early as next month, but no official date has been set yet. Mitchell Taylor says a meeting can't come soon enough. The more we can get an early indication about how these talks eventuate, the better off it will be for the long-term prospects of some of the investments. Also watching developments closely is Andrew Wiedemann from Grain Producers Australia. China was the largest purchaser of Australian barley until it introduced tariffs in 2020, effectively stopping trade overnight. At that particular point in time, it was uh, a massive kick in the guts for a lot of farmers. He too is supportive of a meeting between ministers. Rebuilding and opening the dialogue between the two countries is the only way that we'll ever resolve what's currently in place. In a sign that China may be prepared to reconsider trade sanctions, China's ambassador to Australia, Xiao Chen, last week declared he wanted the two countries to talk instead of the matter going through the World Trade Organisation. If the Australian side is ready to uh, to forget about the multilateral solution, then come back to a bilateral solution... I think it's a good idea. The WTO is examining the tariffs on wine and barley, but if China opens its doors again to the Australian products, the cases could then be dropped. Mitchell Taylor says that would be ideal. The best outcome would be for us to come to an arrangement where we don't need to go to the WTO because I think both Australia and China realise that this is a long, drawn-out process. For now, grain growers like Andrew Wiedemann are keeping their options open. The industry has certainly learnt that it needs to have a lot more eggs in different baskets, but we've lost somewhere in the order of six to $700 million a year since the start of this particular tariff introduction by the Chinese on barley. Andrew Wiedemann from Grain Producers Australia ending that report by Stephanie Boris. Ukraine says the rising death toll from a Russian missile strike on an apartment block in the city of Dnipro demonstrates why it needs more weapons. More than 40 people are dead and dozens more still missing. Meanwhile, as intense fighting continues around the city of Bakhmut, a member of the Ukrainian Special Forces tells AM that some Russians are being sent on senseless missions to the front line. Europe correspondent Steve Kinane reports. At the site of the ravaged apartment block in Dnipro, rescuers continue to pull bodies out of the rubble. Among the dead are children. As the rescuers continue their gruesome work, a soldier lays flowers at the site and staggers away in grief. This is a country whose people have seen too much in the past 11 months. 63-year-old neighbour Victoria was among those who came to pay their respects. It is very tough, she said. 
such a shame about lives lost. I want to say rest in peace to all those who died and keep strong to all those who survived. It's very sad, such a shame about the lives lost. Any of us could have been here. Around 250 kilometres away, Russian forces are trying to encircle Bakhmut. The fighting in this region has been fierce in recent months as Wagner mercenaries, including released prisoners, have tried to capture the city. On Friday, Moscow claimed it had taken the nearby town of Solodar. Taras Berezovets is a senior lieutenant with Ukraine's special forces. He's told AM that Russia is sacrificing troops for the sake of a strategically unimportant battle. The town of Solidar is just packed with bodies of dead uh, uh, mercenaries of Wagner Group, so nobody knows how many of them have been killed because nobody counted them. My uh, battalion captured as a prisoner of war, one of uh, uh, Wagner Group mercenaries, he was captured near Solidar, and uh, during interrogation he reported that out of his uh, platoon of 30 uh, military, only three survived, only three. So all others have been killed. There have been reports of former Russian prisoners who have been recruited by Wagner being sacrificed as cannon fodder, being forced into dangerous frontline missions or facing summary execution. Taras Berezovets says some mercenaries are being sent into frontline positions without anything except for grenades. This was suicide mission because, like I said, they were equipped only with uh, grenades. And their task was to get as close to Ukrainian positions and throw grenades and die. That's all. That, that's what I mean, suicide bombs, because they didn't have a single chance to survive. They were not even equipped with rifles or guns, so they didn't have anything except for for grenades. Senior Lieutenant Therese Berezovitz from Ukraine's Special Forces, ending Steve Kinane's report. Horrific accounts have emerged of the tragic plane crash in Nepal that killed all 72 people on board at the weekend, including an Australian man, Myron Love. The air disaster has left a wreckage of trail of wreckage strewn across a cliff and hundreds of metres below in a river gorge. Correspondent Anne Barker reports. Witness accounts show just how close residents at Pokhara came to being victims themselves as the Yeti Airlines plane began spiralling out of control. I live in the house just next to the crash site, says Sapana Hadka, whose house was perilously close to the cliff where the twin-engine plane first struck. It came to the side of my house after bouncing back and then burst into flames, she says. On hearing the sound, we looked out and saw a huge ball of fire in the air and then we rushed out of our house. We thought the plane was going to crash land over our house when my children and I were inside, but we're lucky that God saved us. Another woman says she and her husband watched as the plane flew above and thought it was making a turn, but then noticed a rotator on the other side wasn't functioning. As we were looking, it first crashed onto the right side of the cliff and then broke into two halves, she says. Upon seeing this, I carried my child and ran away from the house. I could feel the intense heat from the flames and my husband also sustained minor injuries while running. The crash happened just as the twin-engine plane was coming into land. Authorities have revealed that barely a minute before, the pilot asked for a change of runway, which was granted, but they don't know why. Search teams have now recovered the plane's black box with the flight data recorder and the cockpit voice recorder, which could shed some light on why the plane suddenly shook and nosedived into a gorge. 
By nightfall, most of the bodies of the 72 people on board had been recovered. More than half have been identified, many by grief-stricken families in Pokhara. Bimala Bandari is mourning a prominent Nepalese journalist who was on board. The Association of Nepalese Journalists is deeply saddened, she says. Tribhuvan Pordel, a dear friend and lived in Pokhara as a place of work, has died unexpectedly. Bodies of foreign nationals are being sent to the capital, Kathmandu, for further identification, among them Sydney teacher Myron Love, who one friend describes as the best human, though it's not yet clear if his body has been found. And tragically, the co-pilot, also killed, had lost her own husband, another pilot, 17 years ago in a similar crash. This is Anne Barker reporting for AM. And coming up on RN Breakfast after 7.30, Hamish MacDonald interviews Nepal's ambassador to Australia. It's a stressful time for people trying to bring their pets into Australia. Under new rules, more stringent testing and identity verification is required. And the quarantine time for some pets is tripling from 10 to 30 days. The Agriculture Department says the changes are needed to boost Australia's protection from rabies, as Rachel Carbonell reports. Jenny Clegg and her family recently emigrated from the UK to Brisbane. The family's poodle cross, Rosie, has a permit to enter Australia and is booked to join them in April, the earliest date they could secure at Australia's sole pet quarantine facility in Melbourne. We've got two daughters, age nine and six, who just absolutely adore her. She is part of the family. She's my third baby. But on the 1st of March, new pet importation rules will come into effect, aimed at boosting Australia's protection from rabies. Jenny Clegg says Rosie doesn't meet the new requirements and she's unsure whether Rosie will be allowed in or whether the family will have to start the application again, a process which could take more than six months. I think that our only option would be to rehome her. She would have to... Sorry. (laughs) It's really hard thinking about that because it's just not been an option for us. Jenny is one of many pet owners expressing stress and confusion over the new rules. Assistant Secretary for Animal Biosecurity at the Department of Agriculture, Fisheries and Forestry, Peter Finnan, says people with existing permits will generally be allowed to proceed. If they can't meet the new requirements in time, he says their quarantine time will be increased from 10 days to 30. If there is a problem, it should show up in that 30 days. Rabies is is still one of the most significant diseases right around the world. And unfortunately, if you contract rabies and you've got clinical signs of rabies, it's essentially invariably fatal. He says if rabies entered Australia, it would also have a devastating effect on wildlife populations. Jenny Clegg says she hasn't been able to confirm her dog will be allowed to travel to Australia under the old rules and she's upset by the increased quarantine requirement. She's an anxious dog. Um, The thought of her in quarantine for any length of time is not one that I like to think about, and 30 days is a long time. The RSPCA declined to comment on the new rules, but in its submission to a government review of the issue, it said potential increases to quarantine times could pose animal welfare concerns, but those concerns had to be weighed up against the risks posed by rabies. Peter Finnan says animals in quarantine in Australia are well looked after. We have a large group of really dedicated biosecurity officers and they they really love their job and they really care 
very deeply for all the animals in their care. They're just as concerned as the owners are about the animals' welfare. The changes come as the number of domestic pets arriving in Australia from overseas continues to increase, including an uptick in commercial trade. The concern we have is that we've had uh, increasing evidence that there are people who are essentially circumventing our rabies requirements and they're doing things like producing false documentation. Under the new rules, there are more stringent blood testing requirements and government officials in the originating country must verify the identity of each pet. Rachel Carbonell reporting. Scientific research has been teaching us more and more about how the food we eat can impact on our brains, giving insights into the treatment of depression and other health problems. But now a new study has found evidence of a two-way link between the gut and brain, as Nick Grimm explains. All right, everyone, let's grab your heavy weights and start with your squats. Down for two and up for two, 50 seconds on the clock. Sydney-based personal trainer Anna Lentini knows how to get to the very core of her client's health and well-being. Zip up your abs, girls. Good. Zip up, push through your heels. Oh, core strength's amazing. And, you know, core's not just the abs, it's the whole body. It's your posture as well. And she knows that helping her clients look after their insides makes her job that much easier. Oh, 100%. What an excellent point. So you start from the gut, you're working on the core, and then everything just builds beautiful on the outside like a beautiful flower. Turns out that same principle also applies to the brain. But it's not just a case of a healthy tummy helping people to think clearer. Research from Edith Cowan University is showing those who engage in more mental activity have fewer gut problems. Well, there is a a strong link between the brain and the gut, so what we um, refer to as the gut-brain axis. Professor Simon Laws is the director of the university's Centre for Precision Health. What we've done is take a genetics-based approach, so we look at large genetic cohorts, uh, a lot of genetic data from individuals that have gut disorders, And we compare those uh, genetic associations with genetic associations with educational attainment, uh, intelligence and uh, memory performance. Those that had genetic predisposition towards higher educational attainment or higher intelligence had genetics that were correlated with a lower risk of gut disorders. And while high education levels do coincide with greater socioeconomic opportunities, which in itself is linked to better health outcomes, Experts believe this new understanding of the gut-brain axis will help build on earlier research linking gut health to conditions like Alzheimer's disease and dementia. Associate Professor Michael Woodward is a medical advisor to Dementia Australia. Oh, look, there's been a lot of evidence over the last few years about the interaction between the gut and the brain in all areas. It's been sort of poo-pooed by the medical profession for for a long time, but there's now increasing evidence that what we actually do in our daily life, and it doesn't just include what we eat, but it includes exercise, our way of interacting with other people, etc., have a great effect on how our brain works and how our brain ages. Excellent. And breathe. Inhale. Exhale. For personal trainer Anna Lentini, that sounds like plain common sense. She just feels it in her gut. Not surprising at all, really. Thinking about how much looking after your gut improves your overall health and your fitness. So now that the the brain's included as well, it it just incorporates the whole body. So it's looking after your whole body, you know, which you get so many more benefits from. Small inhale. Bigger, more gut for exhale. Excellent, guys. Excellent session.
Personal trainer Anna Lentini, Nick Grimm with that report. And that is AM for today. Thanks for your company. I'm Kim Landers. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.